America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is The Michael Medved Show. And another great day, another great week, in fact, in this greatest nation on God's green earth. And I say that especially while I am broadcasting one more day from south of the border, um, from Zihuatanejo, Mexico, and uh, with a family vacation with uh, our, two of our children and two grandchildren and my wife and myself and looking forward to coming home. And when we are coming home, uh, there will be an answer to one of the questions that people are puzzling over uh, politically, is who is going to be the first Democrat to challenge Joe Biden and challenge his nomination? Actually, that question has been answered. We will tell you the answer. It's not too much of a surprise. I probably won't get Biden too frightened, but uh, it is an event. Mark Leibovich is going to be joining us. He has written a piece for uh, Real Clear Politics called The Case for a Primary Challenge to Joe Biden. And he makes a strong case as to why the assumption that Joe Biden would automatically get renominated where it would be a no contest sort of campaign for someone to challenge him is not true and he has another name that he wants to throw into the hopper and no it's not Kamala Harris and uh, it is someone considerably younger and maybe more dynamic we will talk about that we will also talk about the breaking news concerning the COVID lab leak theory this is now reported in the Wall Street Journal, not any fringe organization. Uh, there's also more news about China. China is considering giving weapons to Russia. We will cover that. And uh, there is a religious revival, and maybe not national, not yet, but a, a spectacularly energetic and enthusiastic revival in one part of the country. And it actually uh, echoes and uh, bases its uh, reality on a Gallup poll that's extraordinary about the number of people, including the number of people who are not members of any church or part of any religion, who actually say, I have had a profound religious experience or awakening that changed the direction of my life. An amazing number of Americans, again, of every religious persuasion, agree with that statement. Uh, meanwhile, breaking news, the uh, uh, Times Union has reported, and the Sandy San Francisco Chronicle has reported, and various news reports have come forward that Scott Adams, who is the creator of the Dilbert comic strip, has simply gone too far. The uh, jokes that he made, or comments that he made actually, which we'll play for you, on his podcast have led to a cancellation of some 2,000 newspapers around the world that uh, had been running that cartoon strip. And uh, also, uh, earlier they uh, reported that uh, the San Francisco Chronicle had stopped publishing Dilbert even before the comments because of strips that joked about reparations for slavery and inclusive workplaces. There's another cartoon, uh, this one, the very popular cartoon uh, <laughs> that uh, actually makes fun of the transgendered trend, 
Will that lead to all kinds of uh, uh, pushback? We will get to that also and let you hear for yourself and judge for yourself. Meanwhile, some bad news from uh, Israel and uh, the West Bank. A Palestinian gunman today shot and killed an Israeli motorist uh, in the occupied West Bank. That's uh, the AP story. He uh, was killed apparently for the crime of being Jewish and Israeli. The latest bloodshed and a fresh wave of fighting that showed no signs of slowing. The killing occurred a day after two Israelis were killed by a Palestinian gunman in the northern West Bank, triggering a rampage in which Israeli settlers torched dozens of cars and homes in a Palestinian town. It was the uh, worst such violence in decades, says the AP. And uh, the Israeli army said today's attacker opened fire at an Israeli car near the Palestinian city of Jericho. Jericho, which we've been to several times, is uh, basically the most important thing about Jericho. It's where the archaeological site is about the walls of Jericho and the story of the reoccupation of Canaan, and uh, which is in the Bible. But it's, uh, it's also a, a city where there are a number of Palestinian residents who are deeply committed to, to peace with uh, their Israeli neighbors. And the distance between Jericho and Jerusalem is small. It's uh, going down a very steep uh, road, but it's about a half hour away. And uh, the 27-year-old man who um, was shot, uh, the, he continued driving. Uh, the, the attacker opened fire at an Israeli car near Jericho. He continued driving and fired at a second car, hitting the motorist. The 27-year-old man was transferred from the scene to Adassa Medical Center, where he later died of his injuries according to a statement by the hospital spokeswoman Hadar El-Bohim. The uh, man was not immediately identified. The army said it set up roadblocks and was searching for the assailant who escaped in a car. Uh, meanwhile, just by way of reference, it, it is amazing to me that if you have a single murder, and a single murder is a tra terrible tragedy, especially when it's political, when the whole purpose of the murder is to undermine any chance for peace or any chance for reconciliation. But when you have something like that occurring at the same time that in Chicago, not one person, 14 people were shot, three fatally. In weekend shootings across Chicago, police said, a teenager was shot to death and a woman was wounded Saturday night in Ashburn on the south side. The teen who was 16 and the woman who were 36 were in an alley after a party in the 3400 block of West 79th Street when someone shot them at about 10.20 p.m. The 16-year-old was shot in the head. The woman who suffered a leg wound was in good condition at Christ Medical Center in Oklahoma. This is the, the point of perspective that seems to me at least worth remembering is that, yes, it is terrible that there is violence on both sides, on all sides in the West Bank. And people do, I believe, want very much to uh, reach some kind of reconciliation or improvement or some kind of reduction of the tensions. However, the, the attention given to a, one shooting in, in Israel 
in a, a country of 10 million people that has uh, far fewer murders, including terrorist murders, every year than Chicago, literally in a month, uh, is, is just putting things out of perspective. Uh, meanwhile, speaking of putting things out from perspective, this is the coverage from MSNBC of that news from the West Bank. Uh, we will get to that. We will also um, get to a the case that is facing the Supreme Court about uh, loan reductions. Uh, basically, the student debt forgiveness data uh, has been analyzed by the American Enterprise Institute, and it is so unbelievably much money being used in a very doubtful manner and uh, a very doubtful authorization. Uh, we will get to speaking to one of the education team at American Enterprise Institute who will talk about the Supreme Court case coming up that may undo Joe Biden's entire effort to spend $250 billion on forgiving student loans. We will be right back with that and more on The Medved Show. The greatest show on God's green earth. Whoa, <laughs> how, how gross and evil is that? It's the Michael Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. That's 1-800-955-1776. Michael Medved show Fox News is reporting just an hour ago that the Israeli army is dispatching more battalions to the Nablus area on the West Bank following a deadly terror attack that saw two Israeli brothers killed and uh, riots in the Palestinian Authority run village of Huwara near Nablus. Nablus is along with Ramallah one of the two centers of uh, Palestinian life. It's a relatively big city. And if you uh, read your Bible, it's actually mentioned this is uh, a place called Shechem in, uh, in, in Hebrew in the Old Testament. And it is a place where um, uh, Levi and Simon, uh, Levi and Shimon, uh, two of the sons of Jacob had had <laughs> A, a bitter controversy with the locals that didn't work out so well. Um, on Sunday night, that's last night, about 400, uh, they say, Jewish settlers. The, the, the term settlers, since it includes people who in many cases have been living in homes and communities that have been there for 30 or 40 years, the term settlers is so peculiar because it basically makes it sound as if they're people who have just moved in. And by and large, they aren't, certainly not the people in uh, the vicinity of Huwara. They, uh, according to this report from Fox, they threw stones at houses and set homes and cars on fire in a rampage of revenge that lasted more than five hours following the murder of the two Israeli brothers, Halel and Yagiel. Uh, Yaniv from the near 
nearby Jewish community of Har Bracha. Uh, Har Bracha means a mountain of blessing, but this sounds um, not tremendously blessed right now. Here is the clip from MSNBC about some of the latest developments from the West Bank. A huge mob, hundreds of Israeli settlers went into that town last night, that Palestinian town of Hawara. And basically, this is, and these are the pictures you're seeing right now, Chris, torched the city. So according to Palestinian officials, one person was killed, a 37-year-old Palestinian man. A hundred cars were burned. More than 70 homes were burned by Israeli settlers last night, Chris. Uh, some of those burned to the ground. According to the Palestinian Red Crescent, 350 people injured. Now, today, just a couple of hours ago, another shooting in the occupied West Bank. We are getting details right now, but according to the Israeli military, uh, several Palestinian gunmen opened fire near Jericho. It's a city uh, in the occupied Palestinian city in the occupied West Bank, killing one Israeli. All of this really, though, is not doing anything to tamp down tensions. Of course, what we're hearing from Palestinian officials, Chris, is that the Israeli military last night did not do enough to protect the Palestinian town, did not stop the Israeli settlers. And what we're hearing from the Israeli government, of course, headed by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu with his right-wing extremist national security advisor, Itamir Ben-Gavir, we are hearing them say, you know, for the Israeli settlers, for the Israeli civilians, uh, do not take the law into your own hands. But we are hearing criticism from Ben-Gavir of the military, of the government, saying that they are not doing enough. These are the fault lines, though, right now, Chris. Certainly the temperature is not being turned down tonight. Well, the other thing that they didn't mention there is that that town of Hawara uh, is a town which is not governed by the Israeli military. It's part of the Palestinian Authority, and the Palestinian Authority has its own police, its own little military squads, which, uh, uh, as part of this tension that has been uh, building for the last several weeks, the Palestinian Authority has decided to stop cooperating with uh, the Israeli forces or Israeli police forces, and that has led to some of this uh, horror here. The, the one thing that the Biden administration, what it said on Monday, is that it expects the Israeli government to ensure accountability for the Israeli settlers behind the rampage in the West Bank town of Hawara. The United States is extremely concerned by the events of this weekend and the continuing violence in Israel and the West Bank. As we noted yesterday, we condemn the horrific killing of two Israeli brothers near Nablus and the killing today of an Israeli near Jericho, who we understand was also an American citizen. We didn't know that. State Department spokesman Ned Price said, we express our deepest condolences to all of the victims' families and their loved ones. We also condemn the wide-scale indiscriminate violence by settlers against Palestinian civilians following the killing. The attacks reportedly led to the death of one Palestinian man, more than 300 residents injured and four seriously, and the torching of an estimated 30 Palestinian homes and cars. That is a much lower estimate than you just heard on MSNBC. Uh, that's what uh, Price said, Ned Price of the State Department, calling the actions completely unacceptable while extending its deepest condolences to those affected by this violence. Uh, again. Given the level of concern about the Middle East right now, about China and uh, potential confrontations with the Chinese Communist government, and again, the ongoing war in Russia and Ukraine, one of the comments that a number of 
I think astute political commentators have made is that it's very rare, very rare that foreign policy ends up being a dominant subject in a presidential campaign because usually you're talking about things that hit people very directly where they live. But the level of danger that the United States is facing right now and the level of challenge that the Biden administration or any successor administration is going to be facing is profound, especially when you have this from the National Security Advisor. Uh, this is uh, our National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, reacting to the COVID lab link theory, as reported in the Wall Street Journal, saying there's still a lot of agreement in the intel community, but it still is a remarkable breakthrough and a remarkable declaration from the highest levels of our government. Listen. President Biden specifically requested that the national labs, which are part of the Department of Energy, be brought into this assessment because he wants to put every tool at use uh, to be able to figure out what happened here. And if we gain any further insider information, we will share it with Congress and we will share it with the American people. But right now, there is not a definitive answer that has emerged from the intelligence community on this question. Yes, this is following the U.S. Energy Department, which is kind of a surprising source, concluding that the COVID pandemic most likely arose from a lab leak, according to classified intel uh, reports recently provided to the White House and key members of Congress. This according to a story in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, does this mean that the lab leak was deliberate? It's, it's hard to imagine because if they were actually trying to do something deliberately, why would they start it in, in Wuhan, which caused so much blame and so much suffering for the Chinese people themselves? We will get to more on this. And speaking of suffering, get to the utterly misguided student debt forgiveness programs of the Biden administration facing Supreme Court review. We'll talk to a representative of American Enterprise Institute coming up. Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, there are some stunning numbers that have been produced by an education team at uh, the American Enterprise Institute, the great think tank in Washington, D.C. In fact, I think the leading think tank in the country by any reasonable standard. AEI and uh, Nat Malkus, who is the deputy director of the education team, have published a new tracker. And if I got this right, we are talking about $235 billion that the Biden administration has already spent on forgiving student loans? Could, could that even be true? Michael, thanks for having me on. Um, you know, right now, the cumulative total across both the Trump and Biden administrations is uh, $256 billion. Uh, that's Holy a quarter cow. of a trillion dollars. And the vast majority of that, of that has happened uh, during the Biden administration. So, uh, yeah, we're talking about a, a big amount of money. And just let me make it clear, that's the amount of forgiveness that's already gone out. There's a big Supreme Court case coming tomorrow. 
to figure out whether or not it's legal for the Biden administration to forgive another $400 billion on top of that. Well, again, when I want to get to the Supreme Court case in just a minute, but what would the argument of the Biden administration be for this kind of huge investment? I mean, just <laughs> when they're struggling to figure out how to raise the debt ceiling so that the government doesn't default and all that, what possible justification could there be for spending close to $700 billion on forgiving student loans? Yeah, well, you know, you start out with another really big number, and that's $1.6 trillion, which is a lot of student debt. So, you know, I think you start uh, with that is uh, a, a problem for a lot of folks. The question is, what are we going to do with it, and who gets to decide? The vast majority of this funding that, that we're talking about uh, was sort of uh, let out on an emergency basis. Uh, again, about 79% of this total that I've got went out under Biden's authority. And uh, both the Trump administration, Congress, and uh, President Biden all extended this uh, student loan payment pause, which started early in March 2020 for the pandemic. And it stopped payments, but really importantly, it stopped any accrual of interest on those student loan payments. Well, when you start with one and a half trillion dollars in principal, the interest payments build up really uh, quickly at the rate of five to six billion dollars every month. And, and they're still going. So that's really the largest line item. And so I think the question that you have to ask about justifying this is, are we still in that zone after the pandemic where we really need a payment pause? And I think the clock ran out on that or, or should have run out on that some time ago. Well, it's it's also if I read your uh, reports, Dr. Malkus, uh, directly, it, it seems like we are paying a disproportionate amount of money to people who are relatively prosperous, that this is not uh, loan forgiveness to help people who are struggling or down and out. Yeah, you know, you, you, you bring up an excellent point. Look, uh, given that the bulk of this money was a blanket stop on interest accrual, the real question about who makes out the, the most and just sort of nominal dollar figures, well, that's whoever has the most student loan uh, debt because they're not getting interest charged on that. And, and sure enough, we've, we've come out with new numbers today that show that uh, it, it's higher earnings who have higher balances. And if you um, take away the interest on those high balances, then they're obviously gonna receive a higher amount of payment. That's important to note, everybody with student debt, doesn't matter whether they're a college graduate or not, doesn't matter how long uh, they have had it. Um, those are the people who are getting interest forgiven on these loans and um, because of the payment pause. And uh, there aren't any income uh, sort of tests or means testing on this. So the forgiveness proposal uh, before the court does have some means testing on there. At least there's something. But what we've seen, especially with this pause, is disproportionately gone to those at the upper end of the income spectrum. So what is the essence in the argument before the Supreme Court? Uh, in other words, to... 
I, I assume that uh, there is at least an attempt to stop or slow the additional $400 billion that they're planning to spend. You know, it, it's a little bit of a binary switch, Michael. If uh, the president has the authority to do this, then the president's going to forgive the, the $400 billion, or, or that's what they think it'll cost. Everybody has to kind of apply for this. But if you can get your uh, $10,000 in student loans off, I think the application rate is going to be relatively high. Um, you know, maybe maybe I'm being too optimistic about that. But uh, in some sense, it's, it, it's free forgiveness. Um, the, the other question before the court really is, um, do the, the uh, plaintiffs in the case, the people that are bringing the lawsuit, do they have standing? And that's, I'm not a lawyer. That's a pretty technical argument. Um, but it is, um, you know, it's just kind of gobsmacking that the uh, executive branch, not Congress, who has payment uh, power in the Constitution, can make a call on $400 billion um, on top of the calls they've already made for hundreds of million dollars, um, billions of dollars, I'm sorry. Uh, I have to keep the B in there because these are such astronomical sums. And... Um, but the question before the court is a little bit less like, should this happen? Uh, a lot of it is uh, whether the Biden administration can do this unilaterally. And um, it's a little bit of a nail biter, to tell you the truth. And if this was referred to Congress, uh, given how closely divided uh, both houses are, the Senate by one vote, the House now by four votes, uh, what what would the outcome likely be with a congressional vote to authorize part of what President Biden is attempting to do? Well, I'll tell you, even if we had a well-functioning Congress, the debate on this would be <laughs> clearly divided. Um, and, and I don't even think we have a well-functioning Congress. So, you know, that's a, that's a big part of this, right? I mean, it could be that um, if the government was a little more functional, the president could uh, make an offer. They could argue back and forth in Congress. And between the, uh, the legislative and executive branch, they might hammer out a deal. I don't think it'd be anything close to what the president is working on. But this is something of what you get when you have a Congress that's not really actively reigning in the president. And you have an administrative branch that has a $1.6 trillion loan portfolio that they're in charge of, of governing. Um, they can make claims about what they can do with that. They've already forgiven um, many billions of dollars. Some of those are make pretty reasonable um, measures to help people who are disabled or who are defrauded. Some of them maybe less so, but uh, this $400 uh, billion effort is really something that is happening because the president thinks that he has the authority and that he can't be stopped. Well, what's interesting to me is I've been following the polling fairly closely on this. And, of course, President Biden thought this was going to be a tremendous political winner. It would build his popularity. Well, it hasn't. His pop the popularity hasn't gone that way. Uh, is there any indication that there is uh, any, any overwhelming surge of public support for what the president is trying to do? Well, we will know better with the Supreme Court uh, hearing these issues tomorrow. I appreciate your joining us, uh, Dr. Ned Malkus of the American Enterprise Institute.
We will be right back in the latest with China, Russia, and Ukraine. Coming up on the Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show all across America. It's an honor to talk to you because I think you got the best talk show in the in the United States. Thank um, you. I agree. This is the Michael Medved Show. One eight hundred nine five five seventeen seventy six. The Michael Medved Show. That's one eight hundred nine five five seventeen seventy six. time i've heard your show and it's really splendid it's beautiful thing this is the michael medved show and on the michael medved show uh, there is a scheduled announcement uh and i know the entire world is waiting with bated breath for the first official challenger to uh joe biden for the democratic nomination uh we will bring you the um prelude to that, uh, something of a preview uh, coming up on the Medved Show. There's also a news in, in Seattle and uh, back home in Seattle right now. I know that uh, uh, Jeremy and Greg and the rest of the staff are dealing with uh, snowfall, not quite as shocking as the, the snow that descended on the Los Angeles area where it's not supposed to snow at all. But uh, still, uh, a heavy-duty uh, snowfall and uh, uh, the, the other thing that uh, you, you need to worry about is the oncoming violation of what the administration had called a red line. Uh, now, remember, one of the big problems for the Obama administration was President Obama had said it would be a red line in Syria for the Hafez al-Assad dictatorship to use chemical weapons, poison gas, against their domestic enemies. They did use the poison gas. Uh, the red line was crossed. It, in fact, was obliterated. And nothing happened. So what about the red line that President Biden invoked regarding China? Uh, China is considering sending weapons to Russia. And in separate interviews, Jake Sullivan, the president's national security advisor, and the CIA director, William Burns, weighed in on the subject. Uh, listen. Well, we're confident that the Chinese leadership is considering the provision of lethal equipment. We also don't see that a final decision has been made yet. Beijing will have to make its own decisions about how it proceeds, whether it provides military assistance. But if it goes down that road, it will come at real cost to China. And I think China's leaders are weighing that as they make their decisions. Now, the real cost that they have in mind is apparently not at all military, but it is economic. And the Chinese economy, which had for years actually been driving the world economy together with the United States, has been in, in poor shape. And uh, uh, Condoleezza Rice, uh, who is, of course, one of the smartest thinkers, particularly regarding Russia. I mean, she did her graduate work to become Dr. Rice uh, at University of Denver concerning Russia and the old Soviet Union. And she was on Face the Nation speaking authoritatively and meaningfully, as she usually does. And the former Secretary of State had this to say on CBS's Face the Nation. Listen. 
in general, in total, the policies in the right direction. You have to support Ukraine. Uh, you have to do it as much as you can as a part of a coalition. It's really important that the Europeans are on board. And I've been impressed with what they've been able to achieve with the Europeans in creating that, uh, that unity. And since NATO's never been in better shape. Um, I do think, and look, it's a lot easier out here than it is in there, but I do think we sometimes seem to be a little bit behind in what we provide to the Ukrainians. Uh, so we were not going to provide air defenses and we, then we did. Uh, tanks and, and armor, and now we have. And so if I could say one thing, perhaps just to anticipate a little bit better what the Ukrainians are going to need, uh, because it takes a long time to supply. And as to mm -hmm. Bill Burns's role, uh, he's unique. Uh, I think he's walking a very fine line and doing a good job of it. He's an intelligence uh, chief at this point. But he has vast experience in Russia. He knows the Russians. They know him. And so I think the signaling and the sending him to Moscow to talk with Narishkin, for instance, or uh, with Zelensky in Ukraine uh, makes perfectly good sense for this particular director of the CIA. Well, good for her. And uh, the, the other question here is, what is the sense that uh, it is involved in China's Ukraine peace plan, such as it is? Uh, Gordon Chang uh, actually contributes. Internet. I mean, wow, what a great, smart tweet. Change his password so he no longer has access to his Twitter feed. Did you send the tweet? I did not send that tweet. My system was hacked. I was pranked. Donald Trump hasn't tweeted at us once, and I'm starting to get worried about him. So we have a new tweet. All right. Can I do the honors? Stand by. Tweet alert. Gordon G. Chang, a frequent guest on this show, uh, says that Biden has said China's Ukraine peace plan is so one-sided in favor of Russia that it is not rational. No, he says, China's plan is rational. It's just Xi Jinping has no respect for the United States. Xi has a dangerous mindset because it will lead him to act provocatively. And uh, then there's also another strategic thinker who I think has earned a lot of respect, the Admiral James Stavridis, who um, actually had been discussed once upon a time as a potential running mate for a number of uh, uh, candidates, both on the Republican and Democratic side, including as for Hillary Clinton, which could have changed the course of history because her running mate, uh, Senator Kane, was so pathetic. But here is Admiral Stavridis talking about military aid to the Ukraine. Uh, listen. If we weren't supplying this amount of aid, uh, Russia would have rolled over the Ukrainians by now, despite all of their courage, all of their fighting spirit, their charismatic leader. So we are metering out a system or two at a time what the Ukrainians need. My view, it is time that just like we initially balked at sending tanks and armored personnel carriers, we are going to end up sending them fighter jets. The sooner we get to that, the better, because that is how the Ukrainians can be in the best possible position when, as General Milley correctly says, the diplomats get onto the field. Hey, last thought, Alex, mm -hmm. let's keep it in perspective. $50 billion in aid so far from the United States, 50 billion also from Europe collectively. A lot of that is humanitarian, but a lot of it is military. 
Even so, that is a tiny amount compared to our gross domestic product, our military mm -hmm. budgets, both in Europe and here. It's a very sensible investment, and it's one that both Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer agree on across the political spectrum. I think we're getting it about right. Add some fighter jets, and we'll be right where we need to be. And that's uh, Admiral Stavridis, and speaking sensibly and directly. And if you want to be sensible and direct about aches and pains and feeling tired and run down, there's a way that you can read your immune system because it's telling you your body has too much acid. Is your stomach upset, acid indigestion, you can't eat the foods you really like. Balance 7 can change all of that and do it quickly by diluting the acid buildup in your body. It also helps to reduce heartburn dramatically and helps with joint discomfort. All natural ingredients. Go to michaelmedved.com and click on the banner for Balance 7. Use the code MEDVED and get $15 off your order. You get free shipping plus a free bottle of My Smooth Skin and a money-back guarantee. In three days' time, you can feel the difference. Go to michaelmedved.com, click on the banner, or you can call at 800-793-9039. Uh, coming up, there has been so much controversy over mandates and vaccines and inoculations and should they be required. You know when that began? It didn't begin under President Trump. It didn't begin under President Biden. It didn't even begin under President Washington because it began when he was General-in-Chief Washington. There's a new book that just uh, was nominated for an L.A. Times book prize in history. Uh, the book is called The Contagion of Liberty, and the subtitle is The Politics of Smallpox in the American Revolution and the story of the way that the role of uh, smallpox and the role of treating smallpox changed the course of history and helped to create the independence of this nation. That is remarkable. The contagion of liberty, the politics of smallpox and the American Revolution. Andrew Wehrman uh, of the Central Michigan University is going to be joining us in a few moments. We are also later going to be speaking about making history in politics with Mark Leibovich, the author of the huge bestseller, This Town, about the weird aspects of Washington life. One of the weird aspects is nobody has even stepped forward to challenge Joe Biden for the Democratic nomination, despite his weak polling. Okay, Leibovich has his ideas on that. We'll get to that and more in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth. For special discounts on history shows, check out MedvidHistoryStore.com.